the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, and that right there. If you're watching on youtube.com slash cover three, if you were watching on the CBS Sports app, which you can get through all your connected TVs, that is Dennis Dodd, senior college football columnist for cbsports.com, familiar voice and friend of this podcast. Dennis, uh, we've got a lot that we want to get into here. We uh, want to talk playoff. We want to look at some of the, the ways that uh, the industry and, and college sports in general has responded to the NCAA uh, throwing this sucker on cruise control and just sort of saying everybody can go figure it out when it comes to name, image, and likeness. But I, I begin with um, how are you doing, and especially in the context of our discussion right now coming with media days right around the corner, uh, a college football season that we feel much more confident about here on July 7th than we did uh, one year ago. Um, but, you know, where where are you in your offseason and preseason preparations uh, here as we look ahead to the 2021 season? I'm good. I've gotten out a little bit. Uh, went to a quarterback camp over Memorial Day in Santa Monica um, and, and saw a lot of the top quarterbacks. Just to see humans again was great. And then to actually talk to them was even better. So I, over the past 15 months, I, I think people have like, don't know me anymore. They used to take my calls and I said, who was that guy? I don't remember his face, but uh, it's been good uh, coming out of the coming out of COVID and looking forward to media days, uh, SEC. That's going to be, you know, a show pony as it always is. Uh, some of the other ones pack 12 with a new commissioner is going to be interesting. And I'll be really interested to see, has anyone, I don't know about you, bud. Has anyone seen, seen an interview or anything with the Heisman Trophy favorite, Spencer Rattler? Because I haven't. Um, and he's, I'll drop a little news on you. He's not going to be at the Big 12 Media Days. You know, the guy you want to come see is not going to be there. So let, let the controversy start, I guess. I don't know. I want to see Caleb Williams anyway. <laughs> yeah well yeah <laughs> yeah we've got Tom is uh, definitely team Caleb Williams yeah we've yeah. we've got um you know a little bit of a theory that we're cooking up right now that the best quarterback we are trying to start a quarterback controversy in Norman Oklahoma so Lincoln Riley I'm sure is going to love uh what we're going to do as we continue to push this narrative that Caleb Williams uh should be QB1 for the Sooners what if, what if Lincoln brings Caleb over Spencer Rattler He's uh, not. Just think He's about one it. of those. Uh, he wants to reward an upperclassman, blah, 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 that whole thing, you know. Well, you but remember. That would be a story, yes. You remember when John Simpson, the offensive lineman for Clemson, showed up at ACC Media Days with a blonde wig because everybody was mad that Davo didn't bring Trevor. But if we just trot out John Simpson in a blonde wig, I'm I'm sure that'll do, uh, that'll do just as well. Are you going to be at SEC? 
I am going to be at SEC. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. They, they sent out the parameters and protocols and it's going to be, I, I don't know if they're going to honor all the credentials, but there's going to be limits to where people can sit and be. That doesn't really affect me or us, but it'll be interesting. I don't think they're going to have the, the fans in the lobby of the Winfrey just due to protocols, I think. And that's half the, the fun of seeing there. The ring man, the guy with the national championship ring on his head, you guys have seen it all. Um, and I don't know if they'll do radio row. If they do, they'll space it out. But yeah, I mean, lots to, uh, lots. Of, I think Dan Mullen is first. That's going to be really interesting. Is it four days? Yeah. Yeah. It ends, uh, goes uh, Monday noonish, and then it ends 12 or one on Thursday. And to put that in perspective, here's all you need to know about big time football. The Pac-12 with 12 teams does one day. The SEC with 14 does four. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Got to, got to give everybody <laughs> their time for four days. Yeah. 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 I mean, you got that, got that content that you got to be able to put out there. Um, so the, one of the things that you've been really uh, working on is trying to get behind the scenes and figure out what seems to me are like the, the biggest questions and what kind of timeline we're looking at in terms of the college football playoff, because we are in a position where everyone knows it's going to expand. We have some decent parameters in terms of timeline in that Bill Hancock has told us it could be as early as 2023. The contract itself expires, I guess, three seasons later. Uh, The 2025 season would be the last one of that. So as you've had to, you know, you've, you've been speaking to members of the management community. You, you've been speaking to Power 5 athletic directors. You've been uh, really trying to tap into what the discussions are like. Uh, I guess the, the beginning question is, you know, what kind of timeline do you sense we're going to end up seeing from uh, the college football playoff expansion? I, I think it'll be more than two years, but really the question is what does ESPN want to do? They have to decide first whether they're going to renegotiate this massive $7.2 billion deal inside, you know, the 12 year deal that it's in now, we're in years, year eight. Now we're going to year eight. Uh, Or do they want to roll the dice and, and risk it and let it go out to term in 2025 and they lose their exclusive negotiating window. I don't think that will happen either. Um, They're not going to let this get away. the projections now are almost, it's not a Super Bowl like money, but it's uh, one administrator called it platinum property in that this is the biggest thing out there right now. Now with the NFL uh, wrapped up, it looks like pretty, pretty well. And to the point that all the other conference uh, revenue deals will take a back seat. The, the big 12 recently, it was reported in the Lubbock paper approached ESPN trying to renegotiate early for whatever reason. They wanted to do their contract. The uh, Big 12 ends in 2025. And ESPN said no. And I think I know why. They're saving all their money for the CFP and whatever they have to do with that. So ESPN has to decide what they're going to do, what that looks like. That could get tremendously complicated in that they may not be able to afford it and could bring on a partner do the, do the commissioners themselves or the presidents want to parcel out this, you know, th- these 11 games like the NFL does to different networks, wild cards on one network, conference final or conference championships on another. I, I think there's a lot of money to be made there if they think that. Um, or they just, they just say, hey, let's stay with one loyal partner and go. 
But whatever's going to happen, it's going to cost ESPN at least another 500 million per year. So on the low side, the thing is, is going to double. That's what the experts say. But I'm hearing it could, depending on how big it gets, could be four or five times it is now. And you can understand the pressures with that, with the players not getting enough money and, and the CFPs. Somebody, uh, one, one of the sources had a really good point. Whose call would you take right now? Would you rather take Bill Hancock's or Mark Emmert's? You know, Mark Emmert is in charge of a basketball tournament and an otherwise failing organization. The CFP is a separate entity, an LLC that controls major college football, basically. So I think you'd rather take Bill Hancock's right now. Yeah, plus there's like the chance that Mark Emmert's phone is tapped. So you never know who's really listening (laughs) at this point with all the Supreme Court stuff going on. But like, can ESPN even afford to let it get to the point where it hits the open market. And I don't just mean from a financial impact of having like everybody else being able to join the bidding. It's just, if you look at what ESPN is spending on college football rights already, not including the CFP with, you know, the ACC network recently getting pretty much taking ownership of the SEC. I don't think that it's in a position where it can afford as a company to lose the CFP because that's really, you know, like there's a reason, like you said, that the money for this is going to double. They're expanding it. This is the cash cow of college football. And for as far as ESPN's brand and being the network of college football, I feel like they're kind of backed into a corner where I think the CFP can kind of dictate the terms to them in a large way. Yeah, you've read that the right way. Um, No, they can't afford to let it go to term. Um, That's why it, it would be in their best interest to really drop a number on the CFP where they ha- where they can't think about letting it wait five years. That being said, Disney's had a bad year. Uh, parks were closed, COVID. I don't have to tell you that. Yeah. ESPN had its own problems, but you know you just go rummaging between the couch cushions and find some money five at least five hundred million more a year. Maybe you. I, I don't know how the structure works at, at Disney. You know, does does the Disney side? give ESPN money to do this deal? I mean, do do they take a loan from the parks department? I don't know. Um, I don't know the economics on it, but you're absolutely right. They can't afford to let this go. If if they're going to call themselves the worldwide leader, you can't have all these conference deals and then have Fox do the playoff. For example. It feels like like they should be willing to overpay for the certainty of of having it, to to Tom's point, right? Like the – what what if a non-entity right now that does college football jumps in like a Google or an Amazon? Yeah, that's and that's something I addressed um, in doing my research is five years from now, who knows what that's going to look like? You know, they may be in with both feet. They aren't particularly right now. But right now, any any network with a streaming um, component and pretty much that's every major network, ABC, NBC, CBS, um, has a shot at this because they have the streaming component where you can put shoulder programming. Eventually, do you put games on there and start charging a premium like ESPN Plus does? So that that's that's all in play. And until until and if I say until, I think it'll happen eventually with sports rights. Until that happens, you know they're going to try to keep it on the traditional linear cable as long as they can. Uh, ESPN Plus is a long-term play where, you know, they can charge for content. They're doing it now. It's essentially the Big 12's network. Um, they got some NHL, I think, and baseball on there. But I think they're long-term. They're, they're going to start charging for, uh, for games, and they do now. Part of the Americans deal is on ESPN Plus. But, uh, yeah, if they ever get involved, who knows? They haven't to this point. 
Apple has said repeatedly they're not interested in that content. Um, and you got to understand the, these, the big streaming companies, the standalones are multi-billion dollar companies. And these are relatively, these football deals in comparison are relatively minor deals. Um, maybe, maybe the money goes up, they get more interested, but I don't think so right now. But in five years, absolutely, that's a threat. Is there a pressure from the athletic directors, from university presidents to get the the money faucet flowing quicker? Like, are they going to be the ones that if ESPN does come and says, you know, throws out a number, is there going to be a pressure from the schools to say, hey, let's let's get this increased revenue in as fast as possible to address some of the financial shortcomings that they've had over the last two years? That's a great point. In times of strife, college athletics always opens the faucet like this. In 92, the SEC broke the seal with the championship game. In 98, the BCS. In 2014, the playoff, and now this. Uh, yeah, and then you throw in COVID and the fact that the Austin case has had, has had yet undetermined impact, but it will have an impact in that um, these uh, education benefits, tethered to education, they're capped at $5,900 per year per athlete. And it only impacts football and men's and women's basketball for now. But if you do the math on the average uh, athletic department, that's an extra $1 million hit. And I talked to somebody about that. Is that, is that a lot? Absolutely. It's a lot. It's to the point where you got to start thinking about, you know, cutting sports. If you just have a, an extra million that you just had to, you know, account for. So and that, it could be a lot more than that at some schools. So, yeah, that's that's going to be a problem. COVID, you, you've read story after story of, you know, schools laying off and having to take loans and being down 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars. So that kind of answers the first question. I think the ADs want this to happen sooner rather than later so they can get that money. So do you think this is happening right now, if not for COVID? Or do you think that, you know, this is like a direct result of COVID that I, I suddenly think, seems to be pushed down the track. Yeah, no, I think it would have happened anyway. Uh, and it may have happened sooner if COVID didn't come. Uh, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated did a great behind the scenes story of uh, how it came about. I vaguely remember this uh, working group being formed and then just forgot about it. Um, who was it? It was Sankey, Orbrick, Bullsby, and Craig Thompson from the Mountain West. And in his story, he, he said as early as March 2020, in the middle of COVID, they decided on 12. No other details, but they decided on 12 and kept it a secret until, you know, more than a year later when they announced it was going to be 12. So, yeah, I, I think it would have I think it would have happened anyway. Um, you know, again, the pressure points are now what I mentioned financially and how quickly they can get this thing rolling. Blue angels are flying over the vacation house. <laughs> for those, for uh, the listeners who don't know, Bud's, Bud's at the vacation house and the blue angels are doing practice over his vacation. Hey, that's the sound of freedom, boys. That's, that's, that's the sound of freedom right there. Um, where were you surprised when you were having some of these discussions? Because I mean, there's, there's some other aspects that I want to get to this as well, but just in terms of what maybe caught you off guard or, or what made you want to do a little, little bit more researching. I, I know that when you do these stories, they come together over long periods of time. One conversation leads to another, which, you know, gives you the question you need to ask somebody else, you know, where, as you are starting to put together again, a, a, an all encompassing uh, playoff story that you're working on for CBS sports.com, 
where where were you a little bit surprised or, or what sort of changed uh, some of the things that you were looking into? I think, I think the Rose Bowl and I know a lot of people that doesn't matter, but nothing happens until the Rose Bowl's decided just because it's the Rose Bowl. And the conclusion from everyone I talked to is the Rose Bowl's just going to become a random quarterfinal. It's not going to get its traditional partners unless it lines up that way. It may not get January 1st at 5 p.m. Eastern. And as more than one person put it, you know, we're through with the tail wagging the dog. Uh, they feel like the Rose has got preferential treatment really ever since the BCS started. And so the Rose has a decision to make. Are they, are they going to be all in and be part of the playoff, which I suspect they will be, or are they going to hold on to this, uh, you know, this Pac-12, Big Ten thing? Now, complicating that is our old friend Jim Delaney, the retired Big Ten commissioner who retains a lot of power and influence, is consulting with the Rose, the Big Ten, and Pac-12 and how to strategize this. So I suspect they're going to go kicking and screaming um, into this. So, you know, not so much the Sugar has the SEC and Big 12, the Orange has the ACC, and then Notre Dame, SEC, and, and who's the other one in their chip? Um, Big, Ten. Big Ten, I think. Yeah. Big Ten on the other side. That's not so hard. I, I talked to one of the bowl executive directors, and he said, well, if this thing comes to pass, we can unspool this pretty quickly. Um, it'd be kind of complicated because a lot of money floating around. But I think everyone would be made whole because of so much money floating in the system. And, you know, we, somebody said this a long time ago about the, the Rose Bowl, that the Rose Parade and the Tournament of Roses is more important than the game. And I think that remains the point today. Now, do they want to play the football game? Absolutely. But people are going to, there's going to be a halt there where, you know, Cincinnati is playing Iowa State in the Rose Bowl at some point. I'll just pick two, two teams out of the air. It's going to be different. Do you think, like, speaking of that, like, potential there, let's assume the Rose Bowl just does what it's going to end up doing and just becomes part of it. And the Big Ten Pac 12 thing is probably going to be dead. Is, or they'll, maybe they'll have an agreement where if there's a Big Ten team on a bye, we get them in that game. But, is there going to be like a pecking order that you could foresee with the bowls involved in this kind of like we've seen with the new year six where, you know, like the sugar bowl, the orange bowl, the Rose bowl, they're not the bowls that have been getting the G five team. Is there going to be a pecking order in this new playoff where it's going to be like the sugar bowls? Like, yeah, no, we're going to be a quarterfinal, but you're not going to send the G five team to us. No, this, what I learned from this whole exercise, I guess, is that for the first time, these games are more important than where or when they're played. You know, in other words, oh, the Sugar Bowl, and, and somebody made mention of, of uh, yeah, the San Gabriels and the sun setting. Or, you know, forget that. It's, you're going to take what you get. For the first time, all these postseason games are progressive pass-throughs. They mean something. You know, in the current setup, you know, you've got New Year's Six Bowls, which are nice games, maybe great games, but they're still exhibition games. And that's why they're, the playoff is more valuable. Every game means something. Where have we heard that before? It just means more. Just, uh, <laughs> so, no, none of that's going if – they, if they get uh, – I don't know, pick somebody from the West Coast. If they get USC and um, Clemson – or uh, that's a bad example. USC and Texas – then that's who they're going to have to take um, because the, the games themselves are going to be worth that much. The ratings the stakeholders are estimating are going to be better because of that. They can't get any worse. Last year's championship game uh, ratings were the worst year over year in the history of the CFP down almost 28%. Um, 
you know, live sports was down for whatever reason during COVID, but that's a big reason they did this. Uh, you know, it's ESPN has to make its money back after it pays all those rights fees. And if the the ratings are down from the advertisers, that's not good. You know, if the bowls are going to pull the money the same way the conferences do, like no matter the ratings for your specific game, everybody's going to get an equal share. Yeah, I, I don't know that. That's a good point. Um, and that's something that has to be determined. You know, they, the sure after the fact, after the CFP was announced, the Sugar Bowl went out and made its own deal. The ACC did too. I think, I think the numbers for the PAC or the Big 12 and SEC were $40 million each they got from the Sugar Bowl uh, to contribute to that. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, in this setting, since it's, you know, a one entity thing, again, every game means something. Dennis, um, obviously they, they have to play nice with the Bulls right now due to the, the length of the Bull contracts, how long they run. But one of the, obviously Tom, there's a lot of things that Tom doesn't like about the new playoff system. I'm, I'm pretty in on it, but one thing we do agree on is that playing these, these games at the Bulls is, is not, it's not great. It'd be much better if you got, the buy and then you got home field advantage in your next game, right? Uh, do you see them just playing nice with these bowls because the, how long the contracts run and then in the long term them being phased out? Or do you really think they're going to make these kids go play neutral site games and make these families keep traveling to these things? Yeah, that that's a good point. I don't think it's in stone. The proposal is conference sites in the first round and then bowls through the quarters and semis and then cities will bid on the championship game. And so in that sense, then the six existing bowls, if they re-up and you got to think they will, will have uh, a playoff game every year. But, uh, you know, I I don't know how the presidents are going to react to that. This is what the commissioners want. That's what they put out. Now they're doing a feasibility study. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for campus sites in the first two rounds, like you said, I guess what we're talking about. And then in the semifinals, then you would just have the situation where it is now six bulls cycling through semifinals once every three years. It is now they get a semifinal and I don't have a problem with that, but I have had, I have had indications that these people feel tremendously loyal to the bulls. And if they are going to take away some of these traditional matchups, then the reward is you're going to get a game that means something. People are going to travel for it. Um, it, it is a neutral site. Yes, I know those top four seeds, as it stands right now, aren't going to get a home game. But I think that's something that can be discussed. I think that's definitely on the table, um, you know, depending on on what, again, what the Rose wants to do or, or the Sugar wants to do. So uh, I don't think that's written in stone. I think that's still up for debate. You know, for, from my perspective, that's, that's one of the reasons why Notre Dame uh, just absolutely killed it. Because they they can never have they they will never have to go to one of these neutral site games to start right like like they, they could be the number one team in the country oh they didn't win a conference oh no so you're saying we have to get another tremendously profitable home game right like that that's why they they really killed it in this deal I'm I'm just curious as to how long that will last I, I think you're I think you're onto something there that's- yeah, I disagree about Notre Dame and I I I, I respect and understand the other side because a lot of people think Notre Dame was a winner I had him as a loser in this when this thing was trotted out. I'll tell you why. Um, yeah, their access is better with, you know, they only have to finish in the top 12 to get in. If they're seeds five through eight, uh, they host a game on campus, but they, they can Notre Dame, which, which has happened basically two of the last three years, they can uh, finish undefeated and in the top four. And the best they can do is a five seed. Um, 
you know, and play that extra game. Now they're rationalizing it saying, well, that, that would have been our bowl game or our conference championship game anyway. And I don't want to ever hear, you know, about the fact that we don't play a conference championship, but think about Notre Dame. Notre Dame is one of those handful of schools that plays for championships. Their last championship was in 87. Now, because of this setup, they have to win four games to win another championship. And I know it's the same for other schools as well. Um, but Notre Dame is different. I just wonder how tired fans are going to get. And they're a little bit tired now after being blown out in two playoffs in the last three years where Notre Dame just makes the playoff and makes an early exit. They're going to want a championship. It just became a lot harder for Notre Dame. But what, what are they going to do, Dennis? Are they going to stop buying tickets to that one home playoff game two out every four years if they actually get it? Like, I mean, what – there's more of the pressure on Brian Kelly administration to make changes. Cause I don't think the fans are going to stop supporting a team that goes to the playoff. Yeah, no, they, they, they won't stop being supported and people won't stop watching them. I mean, that's why Notre Dame had to be a part of this. Why they're so attractive. You either love them or you hate them. They're like, uh, they're like Texas or another team that you have an opinion, like the Yankees, you always have an opinion about Notre Dame. I just think that, yeah, I, I, I you're right about Brian Kelly. I think he's underrated. Any criticism about him right now, he's taken him to three postseason berths, one BCS, two playoffs. Given the strictures at Notre Dame, given the climate, everything else, I think he's done a wonderful job. In a couple of years, he's going to be the longest tenured coach and surpass Newt Rockney. Um, but Notre Dame's a different beast. You know, if they if they get in this thing and start getting, you know, a second round exit, I don't think that's going to sit well with Notre Dame fans. So the it is that's almost – go ahead. No, because that's part of like this whole thing like Bud mentioned earlier that I've got a lot of problems with. Part of, part of my problem with this too is like they're completely uprooting a whole lot of the sport here really quickly, like going from four teams to 12. Like we're not going to screw around with six. We're not going to screw around with eight. We're going straight to 12. We're going to kill off a couple bulls. But then while they're doing that, they're also still clinging to things like, well, we need to have the Bulls involved. We need to make sure that, you know, yeah. we've got them as home games in the second round. We've got to make sure that conference championships still matter. So it's like, I feel like they're doing kind of a half measure of a whole measure. You know what I mean? So that's part of my problem with this. Like, I feel like if you're going to take this step and go to 12 teams, put every single game on campus before the semifinals and then just rotate the, the three the, of the six Bulls that you have now for the playoffs rotate them through as semifinals just like you have been with a neutral site championship game it doesn't make sense to me that they're not doing it it doesn't make sense to me that you have to win your conference to earn a buy yeah yeah and and that that might happen as i said i i, I think that's still a uh, a discussion point where you, you play for something you play a team that finishes one through four gets a home game um yeah i i don't get it either and uh, you know they're being kind of crass about this they want to take care of the bowls but if any of these bowls don't want to pony up and it's going to cost a, a pretty penny to be in. Hey, hello, Liberty Bowl. Um, hello, Gator Bowl. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Greg McGarity at the Gator Bowl now is the executive director. They're making a pitch. They've hosted uh, Super Bowls there, a lot of them. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit sentimental, but it's also very profit-driven. Dennis, does it surprise you that the Bowls still have this much influence? Like we, we, we know just from Dan Wetzel's research for, from death to BCS that, like, okay, they, they were greasing these ADs back in the day and giving them golf, and giving them vacations and whatnot. But like now these ADs make so much money. Like, does it surprise you that that those kind of, of gifts are still getting that much kind of influence or is it just a long-term branch that 
were created out of that and relationships, or are they really are they giving these guys a lot more under the table than, than maybe we know or, or suspect? Like, how do they still have the influence that they have when the sport is bringing in so much money independent of them now? Yeah, that's a good point um, because they're the players right now. There's only six of them, you know, that want to that want to pony up. Um, I think most of the graft and and underhanded stuff is gone since the scandal at the Fiesta Bowl. Now I was at, I was at the, um, the Fiesta summit in May in, uh, in Phoenix, where that usually that has about 70% of FBS, their coaches and ADs with spring meetings. There was only about, um, there was only a handful this year, but I, I wanted to go just to see people. And, you know, the, the, the gift suites weren't there. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot of these people paid their own way. And the Fiesta Bowl set up um, some conferences. There was one on diversity. There were some other ones, um, you know, that kind of made the thing worth going to if you wanted to. But if you wanted to go, you basically had to pay your own way. Um, so I think most of that's gone. There are destinations. There's tradition. Um, does, yeah, does anybody want to go to the Independence Bowl in the playoff? No. Um, and so there's only a handful of these, <clears throat> excuse me, these bowls that are really going to be in it. But I think the days of them buying their way in is, is over. Uh, here's what, here's what you're going to get when you, if you join this new playoff, you're going to get a t- teams you may not want. You may get a group of five teams, but it's going to make sense because to us, meaning the commissioners and the presidents, these games are very worthwhile now, at least on television. Well, can the bowls now can- <laughs> The Bulls can grease the wheels just by endorsing players and then funneling that money through the players to the ADs. Boom. Problem solved. By the way, after seeing what happened in Miami, I think now more than ever, I think you're going to see somebody like Coke uh, partner with, I don't know, the top, the quarter, the four quarterbacks in the Mm -hmm. playoff. Like they do with NASCAR where they have like the Coca-Cola drivers and they're going to have, yeah. They have commercials that run in a loop throughout December and January. I think that's coming. I mean, Spencer, I don't know if anybody's noticed this, but Spencer Rattler, DJ Uangalele, and Sam Howell have basically signed contracts with the agents are going to represent them in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's allowed. We know that. Um, but Spencer Rattler's agent did Patrick Mahomes deal. It says on his bio, he's very involved in endorsements with State Farm and Avis and Verizon. I fully expect to see, see St- uh, Spencer Rattler in a State Farm commercial with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes by the end of the year or during the season. That would be allowed, but that this is what it has wrought. Yeah. When you said, uh, when you said Coke, I thought we were talking about like Kansas football and Coke industries, you know, (laughs) (laughs) different kinds of endorsements. They're about to become a juggernaut. (laughs) One of the most powerful lobbies in the country want to get involved in NIL. That's Uh, We've got uh, more on NIL coming up in a little bit. I did want to make sure we hit this aspect of playoff expansion uh, with Dennis Dodd. Again, uh, digging in on on all this right now, and you can always find all of his great work at cbssports.com. So the, we have, we have definitely pointed out that the expansion of the playoff is going to have real impacts on the bowl system, on the relationships with the bowls, and um, there will be fallout there. What is the sense from athletic directors, conference commissioners on what an expanded playoff does for the regular season? And is that, is, is that something that's positive? Is that something where they're seeing opportunity? And if they're seeing opportunity, do you believe them? Like, do you think that the regular season now carries – 
more value when it's time to renegotiate your deal with your uh, you know media rights partners. You know, with Big 12s up in 2024, and I think some of the other ones might not be till like 28, 31, 32, 36. You know, is does playoff expansion come with bigger checks from conferences to schools from media rights deals? I, I do. I think the value of the regular season just went up, and I really think the value of those conference championship games went up because they're a de facto play-ins now. Even if, even if both teams are going, maybe one's going for a bye. Uh, you know, maybe they're both going for a bye and they have to win that game. It enhances the value of those games. And, and certainly the group of five conference championship games where they're going for one spot, it's going to be, you know, really interesting at that level. Yeah. If they're, I think, I think the Big 12 gets about $3 million per school for its conference championship game. That's about to go up, you know, and, and I think a lot of conferences are going to follow the Big 12's example and, and get, do away with divisions. The, the Pac-12 has talked about it, where you're matching your two best teams where you quote or quote can't lose. You know, in other words, both teams are going to go or you've, you've enhanced the prospect of your best team going. Instead of, I would use the answer, I think it was 2000. 18 or 19, where Ohio State played an eight and four Northwestern. Well, that would have been a bid stealer for somebody. I think I think it would have knocked out Ohio State. I'm not sure, but you you wouldn't have wanted Northwestern to win that game, and they didn't. I think they lost 45-28. But but in any given year with divisions, that could happen. With one division, it's, it's likely not going to happen. Now, as far as a regular season, yes, I bought into what Bob Bowlesby was saying early on that it will enhance the regular season because more teams will be in contention. Um, Gordon Gee told the president at West Virginia, who's part of the board of managers told me, he said, by November 1st, there may be 40 teams we're talking about. That might be too many, but there might be 30. Um, And Tom, you do that story every year. And I've done it in the past where you have trouble coming up with six or eight teams that can win Mm -hmm. it. Um, Now that gets a lot bigger. Uh, You can talk about teams being able to afford to lose in September Yes, that's true, but just the Cinderella factor alone with the group of five is going to extend, I think, throughout the season. So, Dennis, I have a question here, uh, something I've been thinking about a lot. And I, we might have touched on this on a prior show, but traditionally, the college football playoff, the rankings, have pretty much matched the polls closely, right? And we know the polls, they really operate more in a system where they take and they, they rank the teams in tiers based on the number of losses for the most part, like you don't typically see a three loss team over a one loss team basically ever. Uh, If that continues, it's sort of a disincentive for teams to schedule and play these big games. If the goal is to make the playoff. Now there's obviously other considerations like, you know, making money for your big time home and home games or these big neutral site games. Do you think the committee is going to start to use, uh, I guess, more, metrics that account for schedule strength and things like that, like, 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 you know, performance controlled for by, by schedule quality. I'll, I'll look, I'll answer it another way because I remember two years ago, I did this story where uh, Georgia, Florida, and Texas had gone out of their way to schedule power five opponents in the future. Now, yeah, they, they, they can afford to do it, you know, but the, the unspoken or even the, the spoken point at that time, was that uh, when you schedule that way and with an expanded playoff coming, and they didn't know whether it was going to be 6, 8, 10, or 12, you, you will be able to get in at, at 10 and 2. And now with 12, I think you, certain teams will be able to get in at 9 and 3. 
So the risk reward, it's trending more to the reward than the risk. Um, has there been, I think there's been one, two lost team in the CFP. Was it uh, Auburn a few years ago? I, I mean, Alabama a few years ago. They were just Other a one loss. That? They were a one loss non-division champ. We haven't mm-hmm. broken the seal on a two yeah. loss team in the four team playoff yet, but we've been so close. I, yeah. And only one is one. And that was LSU in 07 with two losses. And that was when worlds collided. So I think, I think now regularly you're going to see 10 and two and maybe even nine and three teams, depending on who they beat in, in that 12 and those at large spots. Um, so no, I, I think it will for certain schools, look, Vanderbilt needs to schedule so they can get to a bowl game. But I think these other schools are, are looking into the future saying it, it doesn't do us anything to schedule Charleston Southern because we're not going to impress the committee. We risk not selling out and, you know, it does nothing for our team. So no, I, that's the way I look at it. Now, how the committee's going to look at it. I, they've said from the beginning, since Jeff Long in year one, schedule matters. Um, so but they, they can, haven't backed that up so far. They, they, you're right. In certain, in certain situations, you're right. Now, Cincinnati, if they're the best group of five team this year, they, they would win at Indiana and at Notre Dame. They've got the chance to make an impression. So we'll see. I think it's very I think it's important. Really interesting. No, I, th- I think it's very important that we get nine and three teams that have already proven they're not national title teams into the playoff to prove once again that they're not national. Well, yeah, teams. I mean that's that that's when you expand this thing. Yeah, now, look and that's my problem with the expansion. In a nutshell, is teams that have already proven they can't win in the national title this year will now be able to lose in the national title playoff again. And that and that, how much how much bonus money will that incur? You know, <laughs> everybody's I, got. Kansas coach has playoff bonus written into his contract. So if he's got Lance Leopold's got it, everybody's got it. I do think that, you know, Tom, that the other, the other situation would be worse, right? If we reward a bunch of teams for going 11 and one, when like all the power metrics say that nine and three team is better, you know, that that's worse because that actually creates a disincentive to schedule the big time regular season games in the future. Like one of the playoff, one of the benefits for the playoff, if they do it right, quote unquote, and actually reward the teams for scheduling these things, is that you'll get more of these big time games scheduled during the regular season, which makes the regular season a little bit better. For sure. But if you look at those nine and three teams, typically who are the nine and three teams? Who are those three losses against? They're Team- against the 11 and one and 10 and two teams. Oh, I'm not arguing that they can win the thing. Yeah, so that's yeah, but we're gonna we've already had this argument a thousand times because <laughs> it's an argument um, of best versus most deserving, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the most deserving side of the argument says I, I know that the schedule metrics say that Cincinnati should be behind two loss Oklahoma and two loss Iowa State, but Cincinnati has a zero in the loss column and they both got two losses. Why, why is Cincinnati getting hurt like that? Because they feel like they're most deserving, even if advanced analytics schedule metrics might say they are not the best compared to that Oklahoma or Iowa state team. And what, what this will do is, you know, those group of five teams will now have a harder time finding games. I I think, uh, I think uh, Louisiana plays Texas this year. Well, when was that scheduled? You know, going forward, that game will never be scheduled if you're Texas. Um, You know, if you're going to lose again, lose to somebody who's 11 and one. Coming up on the other side, the name, image, and likeness era is underway. What has Dennis Dodd been hearing and seeing about the impact that it's had on all of college athletics? That and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The trilogy is upon us. UFC 264. Conor McGregor will be facing... Dustin Poirier on July 10th. The series is tied 1-1 with each fighter owning a knockout win, but there's only one place where you can get all your UFC 264 coverage, and that's at Morning Combat with Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. The boys will be live in Las Vegas all week to interview fighters and preview this massive fight. Make sure you check out Morning Combat for all your UFC 264 coverage by visiting youtube.com slash morningcombat or on any podcast platform. So we're starting to see uh, not only some individual deals, which started right at midnight, but now we're almost seeing what seem to be like group licensing deals, almost. Uh, how Have you been surprised at all, Dennis, about the the way that things have been developing on, on the name, image, and likeness side over the, the first week of its existence? Yeah, I thought it was pretty calm. Uh, nothing really stood out except the Miami deal on, what was it, Tuesday, where they announced a partnership with an MMA firm or something where every player gets 6,000, every player on the team gets $6,000 a year um, to basically endorse this company, uh, $500 a month. That to me is an inducement. That's what the NCAA said you couldn't do. That could be defined as an extra benefit and taken to another step that could be group licensing. You know, they MMA has, Hey, we've got these 90 players. We can deliver them to somebody else because we're, we're paying them. Um, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. You know, group licensing eventually I think is going to get us back to the, the EA sports football, but that one raised my eyebrows a little bit, but there's been nothing out there, you know, where somebody got a Cadillac or a Lamborghini or something like that and tried to fight the system. They, they've been mostly tasteful to the point that who was uh, Dear King. And there was another uh, Spencer Rattler um, are donating part of their earnings to uh, charity. So the and deal then, uh, Casey Thompson is too at Texas. Casey Thompson, yeah. The yeah. deal that you're speaking of, American Top Team is a a gym chain uh, all throughout Florida. MMA training, MMA gym. Uh, it's the home training facility for more than two dozen professional fighters, including Amanda Nunez. And the deal is five hundred dollars a month. For these endorsements. So it can be that big number that you said, but my understanding of it is that we weren't signing deals that were promising or guaranteeing that this was much more of a a pay-as-you-go type basis. But still, when uh, the gym's owner, Dan Lambert, decides that he is going to make this an offer for every single Miami football player, all 90 of them, then yeah, you could 
Five hundred a month for ninety players for an entire year. Like good, goodness gracious, that's going to be a whole lot of money. I, I think that the that side of it is something that probably generates more headlines than we actually see the follow through because the players have to actually opt in. And I don't know if all ninety players are going to be opting in to this opportunity. No, and it speaks to the. I hear the the critics saying of NIL saying, well, it's going to be a competitive disadvantage and and really uh, really upset um, you know the balance of power. In in what way? I mean, where are we at right now? Um, you know, if, if this is true, Miami's about to take off and win national championships. Well, they haven't, and they won't. Uh, I guess in the near future because they're not as good at football than Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State for whatever reason. We've written reams about that. So yeah, you're right. It, it's not it's not going to change. Does it does it separate the group of five a little bit? Yeah, I guess. But Western Kentucky is not going to suddenly start landing recruits over Alabama because of what they can offer in, in NIL. Um, I think it. Oh, sorry, Dennis. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think it will upset balance power a little bit, but the balance power will not between schools. It'll be between coaches and players, right? Because like now, some yeah. of that endorsement money that may gets funneled to the coach, you know, is going to go to the players. I, I was looking up something for a piece I'm writing uh, on 24/7, and so when Spurrier became the first million dollar coach in '96, right? That that was that was big news. If you adjust that one million dollars in '96 for inflation, it's 1.72 right now. Now the top coaches in college football make nine million. So college coaching salaries have outpaced inflation over the last quarter century by almost six x. Like that's crazy. Whereas player salaries have been mostly flat, right? At least the ones that we, you know, are are, are legal. Uh, I, I'm interested. Like, let's say somebody does challenge the system. Do you really think the NCAA is going to want to rule them ineligible? And, uh, and have, have this go to court? Like, isn't this a very similar situation to the one that Kavanaugh talked about? Where you basically beg and bring me a case? Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I talked to somebody, a former NCA employee last night, who just kind of wondered, what, what does legislative services and in, in, uh, amateurism services do these days? You know, they're, they're, what is amateurism? You know, you're, you're, the NCA is not going to, decide to rule somebody ineligible in answer to your question, I think anytime soon, unless it's some sort of under the table inducement like uh, Tennessee or, or Arizona state, that's a different animal. But with this stuff, they got to keep it hands off. I mean, that's what Kavanaugh said. Like, don't, don't come before us with one of these cases again, because you'll be slapped down uh, because you violated antitrust and you are a cartel, whether you believe Kavanaugh or not, that's the vibe out there. And that's why the NCA waited until after the Austin decision to just basically back away and become a fly on the wall. What, what ended up happening, it was a proposal or an idea that basically sprang from Greg Sankey at the SEC, who, who in his history has been a strict and staunch amateurism guy. He just is. But he saw what was coming and said, why don't we just let the players make their own deals with the schools? That kind of eliminates the NCAA as a middleman and at least mitigates legal liability. And we haven't seen anybody sue anybody yet. So if a kid, in other words, if a kid doesn't like a deal at one school, uh, he can transfer, one-time transfer and go to another. If he's a recruit uh, in basketball, he's got 350 options. There's not much room there to sue a school. So that's how that came about. And the NCAA, and I, if, I, if I were one of those people 
that worked on the NCAA NIL working group or solutions group, I'd be pissed because they worked on that for months and years. And at the end, the day before, you guys know this, they just threw it all out the window and, and just capitulated. So the, the front-facing side of this from schools, football programs, athletic departments is we are excited. We're here to help you. Our school is where you can make the most money off your name, image, and likeness. We've got these relationships. We're excited to put you in touch with these people. Look at all of our um, athletes and all of the opportunities they have in the community. Is that the same message that behind the scenes you think athletic directors, um, I assume university presidents might not be in line with that, but um, coaches, athletic directors, is that the same behind the scenes? Like, are they excited about what this could mean for the, the future? I think they've just accepted it. I, I think coaches and ADs long ago just accepted it. You know, in the beginning, it was, oh, God, the sky's falling. We heard that for years and months. Well, it didn't. You know, a week into it, it looks like this is going to be the way things go. And schools try to get out in front of it by partnering with platforms that can help the kids along. I think that's a good idea. They don't necessarily need it, I don't think. Um, you know, Alabama went and created their own um, division. NIL platform. Yeah. And I suppose it's probably better than anybody else's knowing Alabama because um, they've got a, a lot to offer. So it's no, I, I, I think in uh, I'm not this isn't an original thought, but one commissioner told me in a couple of years, we'll be talking about this like we are cost of attendance. And do we ever talk about cost of attendance? No, we get brainwashed by these coaches who lose their minds over Auburn making a hundred Auburn players making a hundred dollars more a month than Alabama in cost of attendance. And guess what? It doesn't matter. Now, will it matter in this? I, I don't think big picture. I, I just think the best teams will keep winning. I think the guardrails are already in place. You can only take 25 in football and 15 in basketball. And Nick Saban isn't going to sign the 10 best quarterbacks out of the 25 because it doesn't make much sense for his roster. So this is just, this is just you know, I think it's a way for what the NCAA wants is the, the student athlete to be as much like the normal student as possible. This makes him more normal. Yeah, I, I think like going back to your question, Chip, I think right now a lot of that excitement, like particularly on the coaches level, is that this is something else. They're looking at it like, all right, this is something we can use. This is something we can use to improve our roster. Like this is a whole brand new thing. Like it's a new recruiting pitch. And when you try to think of accumulating talent to bring to your program, this is a new avenue to do it. It's just I don't know if in a few years from now, I think it'll be interesting to see the uh, the enthusiasm for it when some reality still set in where it's like, okay, well, we're a mid-tier power five program. And even though we now have this, we still can't compete with, you know, the elite, the blue bloods, the top tier school. So it's, it's probably really exciting now. And I think kind of like what you said, Dennis, a few years from now, it's probably just going to be another part of the job. I'm also interested to see, uh, so the, the the Miami deal, the, the MMA gym chain, they, they got a ton of pub yesterday. I, like they were actually talked about on the national news, like like the not not the sports news. They were written up by ESPN by by all the major outlets. Guys, they easily got a million dollars worth of advertising just in mentions alone. Like, do you know how much it costs to get a positive segment on a national broadcast? You know about about your company and mentioning your name. Like they they gained the system there. If they if they renew this deal for next year, they're not going to get that. So I really, I really wonder, like, how, will that will that type of deal last? If so, are the companies actually getting real value for that, or is this really kind of a way to funnel money for boosters players? Not that I'm against that, because I actually am in favor of them getting what they can get. But 
Like it just makes me wonder how many of these companies are jumping on these deals to get the positive PR out of it, because we're not going to be writing stories about, Hey, Miami's getting this and it's not going to make the national news a year from now. Like Dennis said, with cost of attendance. Yeah. I, I think it'll just, we, we just won't pay attention as, as time goes on. You know, I've had all these offers and people call me, Hey, we're going to do this and that. And I go, that's great. You know, it looks great now, but we're just going to become numb to it and become used to it. Um, you know, and players will be on commercials and we'll, that will be the way things are. Um, you know, I, I think there's something to be discussed about, and this is why the NCAA wants an exemption from Congress. You know, you saw it from Reggie Bush this week. He wants his Heisman back, um, I guess because of NIL. But I think even today, what he did in 2010 and what USC got penalized for would still be a violation. I, I might be wrong there, but I, I think you're going to see a group of players who are, quote unquote, harmed by enforcement rulings in the past that would have been allowed today. I'm thinking of tattoo gate that would have been allowed mm-hmm. um, to the NCAA, uh, like some sort of class action. And I, I put that to a lawyer yesterday and he said they might, but the statute of limitations might run out. You know, I'm, I'm, it would have to happen in like the last four years or something where, where a group of athletes were harmed by an NCAA decision because what they did is, would be okay today. Let me just, think for a second like you brought up tattoo gate can we just go back in time and think about what a huge deal that was oh yeah and, and the ramifications it had and now here just a few years later it yeah been perfectly legal yeah. people jump all over me on twitter for that <laughs> even to this day because I, I was covering it i i, I agree it, it, it all would have been allowed uh today what what got me is you know the the senator jim tressel lying to the ncaa that got him fired yeah now, he never worked again um, so in that sense, yeah, he, he deserves everything he gets. Now, the players, what they did, yeah, it, as the years have gone on, it's meant less and less and look more minor and more minor. But it is, it is laughable now that, you know, you would sell a jersey or trade something for a tattoo and, and you get sanctioned. Um, yeah, like the Todd Gurley, AJ Green stuff. It's, just, it's incredible yeah. to think of like what the big deals were just a few short years ago. And now it's like, yeah. Hey, yeah, hell yeah, go do it. Maximize your brands. <laughs> so Dennis, one thing that you've got uh coming down the pike in next week, I believe, is gonna be uh your annual hot seat analysis. Oh, the fans get so mad to see their coaches on the hot seat. So we're not gonna run down the entire list. We're gonna save those conversations for closer to when the story comes out. But as a little tease for our listeners, uh, I want to ask this. Let's say of power five coaches or maybe group of five, if, if this fits the bill, where do you think are, are some of the most intriguing storylines around the hot seat, whether it's the team that they have coming up, uh, the performances that they're coming off of in 2020, who among those, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 coaches that are going to be near the top of the list, who among those coaches really stands out as being a story that you as senior college football columnist and really interested to see how it plays out. The Nebraska situation is fascinating to me right now. Um, even before Bill Moose had, had retired, and by the way, that was in no way, shape, or form a retirement, um, I, I just wondered what Nebraska was. What's its brand? Does the average 18-year-old think of it? With Scott Frost a few years ago being the hip young coach who had, who had the chops, who had the ability, who had the background, and it's just completely fallen on its face. Uh, 12 and 20 in his three years, I think, um, and going into year four, what does that look like? 
when I suggested he was on the hot seat last year, well, he just signed an extension. What do you, mean? you know, and even now I have people telling me he just needs time. Well, if you just need that much time in college football uh, these days, that's the school's problem. It's not the coach's problem because you're probably waiting too long. So he has to go to a bowl game at least this year to turn things around. And they don't look like they have the personnel to have it. Now, the guy that hired him, Bill Moose, you know, was was escorted out with a nice three million dollar severance package. You know, you don't Must be you nice. don't you don't give somebody uh, you know if if they quit, which is what they're saying he did, he retired. You don't give him three million dollars five days later. But so now the new AD, whoever he is, did not hire Scott Frost. And what does that look like? And what kind of pressure is on? I think the first pressure point we'll see on that. I would look very closely to see if the streak ends at Nebraska this year. They did not sell out for the spring game. Um, because of COVID, it was only half capacity, but they didn't fill it. And that would be a huge indicator if they do not have a sellout this year, the way things are going in Nebraska. Dennis, I think it's a really interesting one. I, I think Nebraska is more likely than not to make a game, but they're a school that I think will benefit greatly on the recruiting trail from NIL. Yeah. Right? Like there's, they, they have people who want to support the program. I don't know that they always are pedal to the metal with how they do it, you know, currently, you know, as far as the, the bad game stuff. And there's not very many other things to endorse in the state of Nebraska. Right. So like there, where, whereas if you're in Miami, like there's a lot of like Miami players getting endorsed, but the influencer market in Miami is it's pretty crowded, right? There's a lot of folks who go to Miami or influencers in Nebraska. You kind of could, could really corner that market. I'm interested to see if that job is more attractive now because of the influencer potential. You saw the biggest news out of Nebraska last week was the Runza deal, where mm-hmm. it said the first the first 100 athletes in the in Nebraska in the state, not just University of Nebraska, uh, get a hundred dollars or whatever it was. Does anybody know what a Runza is? Oh yes, it's yeah. delicious, is what it uh, is, Dennis. It it is it is a guilty pleasure, but if you had to describe it, people would stick their finger down their throat. It's ground beef, cabbage, onions. And what else? Something else. And spices on a roll. Spices, yeah. And if you had to describe that to somebody, you go, but it's it's a delicacy in Nebraska. Does it taste like Philly cheesesteak, kind of? Is it that mixture of flavors and combinations? Kind of, yeah. It's kind of like a calzone, but it's a sandwich. Like a shepherd's pie calzone without the mashed potatoes? Yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. It's it's delicious. (laughs) That's what it is. He is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Keep up with all of his college football coverage at CBSSports.com. Catch him on CBS Sports HQ as well. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.